Brother Rick, Brother Garrett, we'll be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1. I do just want to make a note, uh, kind of a programming note, so if you will. You know, I've seen on, there's a lot of stuff on social media, you know, around and about, about the Super Bowl, and Brother Eric made a mention of, you know, you may miss some of the first half tonight, that sort of thing, but let me tell you. We already got a preview of the halftime show. Usher's performance. Didn't they do a great job a minute ago? Uh, Usher performs every week at Brister. Go tell folks that, okay? And not the same Usher, the Ushers. No, anyway, then move on. Uh, so, <laughs> but I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, there has been uh, something that I have seen on social media lately that ties directly into, uh, I think, the point that. Uh, we'll get to in the, the sermon this morning. If you've seen, there's been a lot of people sharing these pictures. I don't have a clue how they do it. I'm sure they upload a picture of themselves into some app, and it spits out a new picture of them, okay? Uh, artificial intelligence-generated new headshot of some kind. And there's one lady I know she's not from here, and the minute I saw her pictures, I said, those are fake. You know, there's no way those are real. Those, those are artificial intelligence generated. She had one she posted, she was a princess. You know, these pictures can look real if you don't know any better. One, she's an aviator, holding that aviator's hat with the goggles on them. One, she was uh, sitting on a, a motorcycle, you know, she was a biker. And, and uh, you know, I'm looking at those. And uh, now some of the people I've seen use them, hey, we just be honest, they look better, right? I mean, that's the whole point in doing it. That's why a lot of people are doing this, is trying to make themselves look better. But it's fake. And the way I knew this lady's pictures were fake is because I know this lady, you know? She was one of my high school teachers. And, I, 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 of course, we're talking about it's been a couple of decades since I saw her every day, but I saw her in Walmart not too long ago. And she still looks the same today as she did back then. And so I saw these pictures, and because I know what the real person looks like, I knew these pictures were fake. And, you know, the scary thing about artificial intelligence is the better the technology gets, the more real the fake stuff looks. And whether that's uh, news articles or even videos now, you know, they make these deep fake videos, and it looks like, the actual, and sounds like the actual person is talking, but it's fake, it's generated by artificial intelligence, and, you know, so it tells us we need to stay grounded in reality so that we know what the fake stuff looks like, and, and so we get to that as a spiritual principle as we begin to read in Second Peter chapter 1, and, and before we, we get to the main text this morning, you know, it's important to have some, some context, some, some background information as to why would Peter even need to uh, address this topic with the readers of this short letter. And if we read the letter in its entirety, that's the way we'd get the best context. But, well, we, I could read the whole letter right now and we'd be out before the Super Bowl, okay? But still, you might think it's thunder in a minute, but it might be my stomach growling. So we'll just say it's thundering outside. Yours probably is too. And so we're not going to read the whole letter this morning. But look at just one little thing over in chapter 2, verse 1. This gives us some context as to why Peter would say what he's going to say as he opens the letter. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, talking about 
formerly, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies and even uh, denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth uh, will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And so Peter's saying, just like in the days of old when the false prophets came in, uh, he says, hey, false teachers are coming in and they're going to be teaching a gospel that does not align with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a lot of people are going to be swept away by these false teachings and they're going to follow these false teachings. Now, I hate to admit, a lot of that goes on in our day and age today. You know, you can flip through the channels, especially televangelists get a bad rap for this, but some of them do it. That's why they get the ratings, because what they're saying is so popular. And a lot of times it's because they're tickling the ear, saying what people want to hear instead of preaching the Word of God. And, but you see it, you know, I'm not going to cast judgment on any other denomination. It's not my business. But I would venture to say there's some churches even in our community that teach things that don't align with, with a true uh, explanation of the Word of God, and we might even go so far as to say that some of it's false teaching. It says there's one way to heaven, is what the Bible says, and that's through Jesus. But as we read our text this morning, we see that Peter doesn't want his readers to fall victim to these false teachers. And so he paints the picture of what real faith looks like. Because that's the thing. If we can identify what's real, we'll be better able to spot what's fake. So read with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, uh, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word, and I thank you that your word uh, transcends generations, transcends centuries, and that the truth that Peter wrote to these people some 2,000 years ago apply to us here and now today. And I pray that as we examine the scripture today that you would help us to draw from it the things you want us to know. Help us to see exactly 
what you may have for each and every one of our lives individually and for our church collectively. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we, we read through those verses, I don't know if you caught a theme that Peter begins to lay out uh, here, really, for the whole letter. Uh, let's see, I think it's uh, five times in those eight verses. Five times in eight verses, he uses a word. That word is knowledge. He goes on, to, if you were to read, if we read the whole letter and counted it up some 13 times over the 61 verses of the entire letter, he uses the word knowledge, 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 knowledge. It's through the knowledge of God that we avoid the false teaching is essentially the overarching message here. And you say, well, that's good. I know a lot about God. But we get down to this word knowledge, and this is one of those instances where we say, well, translation into the English from the original Greek may cause us to misread this just a little bit. Because the word here is not talking about book knowledge or, or head knowledge. You know, those things that, you know, we learn a lot. We can learn a lot by reading books. We can learn a lot by sitting under a good teacher. But there's some things that the only way we learn the things, and this is where uh, sometimes I think we might uh, mess up as parents. We try to, to do too much for our kids sometimes instead of letting them do things on their own because some things are only learned by experience right? Sometimes you have to get out there, and you may even have to fail to learn, but some things are only learned by experience, and that's the basic meaning of this word used here, translated knowledge. It is the Greek word epigenosis, which means experiential knowledge, knowledge gained by experience. And you know, this comes, we think about, you say, oh, that's some grand Thing. You know, it's something as simple as riding a bicycle. You know, I was thinking, what is something you can really only learn from experience? You really can't learn to ride a bicycle by reading a book, can you? Now, I could make you a really good pamphlet. I could get on one of these uh, programs that I've got to design things, and I could make you a really nice how to ride a bicycle pamphlet, okay? We could talk about adjusting the seat and the handlebars, and, and you push one pedal forward, then another. You say, every step it takes to ride a bicycle except one very important one that you can only learn from experience. And that's how to balance that thing, right? You only learn how to balance it from actually getting out there and falling down a few times, from actually getting out there and having the experiential knowledge. And so that's what Peter is getting at. He writes this letter knowing that the false teachers are coming. And so he's telling the believers, you need to get some experiential knowledge of God or you'll never survive the false teachers. You'll fall victim to the things they're teaching. Put another way, the best way to prove the things we learn about God and his word as we read the Bible the best things to prove the things we learn is maybe we sit under good teaching or good preaching. The best way to prove those things is to get out there and live it, to get out there and do it. And then we see, hey, that really is the way that works. That really, God really is, he really is going to stay true to his word. And we gain that experiential knowledge and it strengthens our faith. That's the overarching message here, but there's a few sub-points I want to get to. There's so much in this text. 
that we can't cover it all in one sermon. I don't think we can cover it in two, but we'll cover some more of it tonight. But this morning, there's a few things I want to point out to you from the text in the first things in verse 2, and that is that an increase in experiential knowledge of God results in an increase of grace and peace in our life. You see that? Look at verse 2. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Now, somebody might say, no, that's just part of the greeting. That's just uh, some niceties, some, some things Peter's saying just, uh, we shouldn't read too much into this. Uh, Peter's just, this is a formality. Well, no, if you read the whole letter, we understand the fact that Peter knows his time is short. Peter knows this is urgent. I don't believe Peter's mincing words. I don't believe there are any wasted words here. Every word here is the inspired word of God. And what he's saying in verse 2, he says, the more you experience Jesus, the more you, have, you gain this, this uh, experiential knowledge of Jesus, the more your peace increases in your life. I don't know about you, I like the sound of having more peace in my life. Life is crazy, isn't it? Life is just absolutely hectic. Sometimes we don't know what to do. Sometimes, you know, life throws us for a loop in every which way. And, and Peter's saying, you want more peace, you need to experience more Jesus. You know, there's two different stories in Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to turn there because we're not going to take the time to read them, but you know the stories. You can go read them later if you want to, but in Matthew chapter 8, there's two stories that I think really demonstrate this point really well. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, we begin a story. Matthew uses five verses to tell this story. Uh, Jesus has been, uh, he's been doing miracles. He's been busy all day doing ministry, and they get in the boat. He and the disciples get in the boat. And in Matthew 8, 23, we find this story starting. They get in the boat, and they're going to the other side. You remember the story. Out of nowhere, a storm comes up. And the disciples, they're bailing water. I mean, they are panicking. You talk about pandemonium. There is no peace on that boat except in one place. And that's down underneath where Jesus is sleeping. And they rush down there, and in the story, you know, Jesus, don't you even care that we're going to die? Jesus just gets up and goes up to the top, and he just tells the winds and the wave to hush. And they obey. And we're told that instantly, the sea became like glass. It was stiller than it had ever been. Do you think there was ever a time? Now, we know that the Gospels don't tell us every minute of every hour of Jesus' ministry and his time with the disciples. I'm sure there's a lot of times they were in the boat with Jesus after that that's not recorded in Scripture. Do you think there was ever a time they were in the boat with Jesus and they were scared after that? I don't. Because they had that experiential knowledge that I've been through a storm with Jesus in the boat. Bring it on. Right? I mean, as a matter of fact, I probably wouldn't have stepped foot in the boat again unless he was coming with me. And that's the way we ought to go through all of life. That is the, the knowledge they gained through that experience with Jesus, no doubt gave them all kinds of peace. 
every time they experience that same type of thing in the future. Then very next story begins five verses later in Matthew 8, 28. Jesus gets out of the boat, and he immediately encounters the man who's demon-possessed. We find out the demon's name is Legion. There were many demons in this man. Now here this man, if you remember the story, he's been living in a cemetery because he's been cast out of town. Family doesn't want anything to do with him because of the way he's been acting as he's demon-possessed. And uh, he's been, uh, well, he's naked. He's been harming himself. He's screaming all the time. And then he encounters Jesus. And after gaining some experiential knowledge of Jesus, we find the same man who's been outcast, who's been, who's been naked, who's been out of his mind, absolutely insane. We find him clothed. We find him completely in his right mind. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't think there's a more beautiful picture of peace than that. So can I point something else out to you about those two stories? Neither one of those happened in what we'd call a church service. Because you see, the, the experiential knowledge that we need to gain of Jesus happens in real life. We're going to go through all kinds of storms in life. I mean, it's raining outside right now. This is not the kind of storm I'm talking about. We're going to go through storms in life when we don't have a clue what we're going to do next. We don't know how this thing's going to end. But I tell you this, the more time we've spent with Jesus in the past and the more experience we've gained with Jesus and the more we know he's with us in this moment right here, right now, the more peace we'll have no matter what happens, no matter what life throws our way, knowing that Jesus is beside us ought to bring us all kinds of peace. That's what Peter is talking about as he writes this. He begins to write this. He says, the more knowledge you have of God and of Jesus, the more you've learned about him through experience, the more peace you'll have in life. And so what we see there is that knowledge of God, experience of God, is a multiplier of peace. Listen to what Paul said. You know this text. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse uh, 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. We love to talk about the peace of God. And so oftentimes, when we're talking about finding peace in life, we think about this verse that I just read, but we start, be anxious for nothing. But that's not where Paul started his thought process. Paul didn't start the thought with be anxious for nothing. Paul started the thought with rejoice in the Lord always. You see, that's where peace starts. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Paul says the peace of God comes from rejoicing in the Lord. What brings about rejoicing in the Lord? Experience in His goodness in our life. As we, as we experience His goodness and we meditate on His goodness, it ought to bring about one response, and that is joy. He says rejoice in the Lord. Show love to others. That's a part of having peace in our life. 
Showing love to others. The way he says it is let your gentle, gentleness be known to all men. Sometimes we wonder why we lack peace in our life. Maybe it's because of the way we treat people. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Then he says, be anxious for nothing. Paul says that it's through all of these things that the peace of God comes to guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Acknowledging God in the good times, recognizing God's guidance in our lives every day, and knowing that we need his guidance just as much on Monday through Saturday as we do on Sunday. If Sunday is the only day we try to gain knowledge of God, we're missing out on the multiplier. Grace and peace are multiplied when we increase in experiential knowledge of God and of Jesus. The second thing I want you to see from this text comes as we read verse 3. He says, as his, meaning Jesus' divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Sometimes Peter can be a little difficult to understand, which is funny because he says that Paul's difficult to understand, which is also true. But uh, I think the New Living Translation gives us a better idea of what this verse says. Listen to this same verse, but from the New Living Translation. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So at the very moment of salvation, Peter says, the very moment you came to an experiential knowledge of God for the first time, at the moment of salvation, he gave you everything you need for life and godliness. He gave you everything you need to live a godly life. And you say, wait, 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 wait. Put the brakes on for just a minute. Because look at verse 5. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue. Add to your virtue, knowledge. Add to your knowledge, self-control. Add to your self-control, perseverance. Add to perseverance, godliness. Add to godliness, brotherly kindness. And add to brotherly kindness, love. If he gave us everything we need... Why in the world we got to add stuff? I'll give you the best illustration I could come up with. The Lego set. Went through its playroom and found this one unopened. And I said, that's a sermon illustration right there. And uh, inside this box is everything you need to build big spikes Cloud top challenge. Sounds exciting. Everything you need is right there. You don't have to buy, you don't have to buy a supplemental box. You don't have to get anything else. Inside this box, I'm shaking it for a reason because that's another point. Inside this box is everything you need. Now, if you open, I'm gonna open it. It's never been open. I'm gonna open it. Maybe sure it won't get upset with me, but um, you pull out the bags, and 
there's a problem. Big Spike's cloud top challenge isn't assembled yet. So see, what I got to do, what Truett's got to do, starting with bag one, this is bag three. See, I got to take one block and add to it another block. And then I got to take another block and add to it. And I got to keep adding blocks. But see, the thing is, all the blocks are right here. Don't have to go get any more blocks. They're already here. And Peter says that God has given us, at the moment of salvation, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's all already in here. The thing is, we got to put it together. And we see this in other places of Scripture. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Paul says you've got to work out your own salvation. Now we know from looking at this in the past, he's not talking about working for your salvation. He says work it out. He says it's on the inside. And we got to work it to the outside. See, that's called bearing fruit. If we want to use the, the, the biblical terminology, we bear fruit for the kingdom of God. We know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all those things. And we get down here to, to verse 8, and it says, For if these things are yours and abound, talking about all these things you've added together, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Work out your own salvation. Put it all together. We're going to look at that a little deeper tonight. But I just want you to know this morning from what Peter's telling us in this text. You know, some people say, I don't have what it takes to live the life God's called me to live. You, so you preach all this stuff and, and I just can't do it. According to Peter, it's already in there. How do you put it together? Well, the same way you put this thing together. If you look in here, somewhere, I can see it, I just can't grab it. There's some instructions. That's not the instructions, but there are some in here. It'll tell you every step by step which way to go. They got an app for this, that's even better. But um, give me the instructions every step of the way what to do. And the thing is, God wrote a whole instruction manual. He inspired every word of it to tell us what to do. And I, I said in Sunday school this morning, uh, quoting Adrian Rogers, the best way to, to, to I'm going to paraphrase it now because I don't have it in these notes, the best way to understand the parts of the Bible that you don't understand is to obey the parts of the Bible you do understand. And so if you come across parts of the instructions and you say, I just don't get it, we'll come back to it later and just obey the parts you do understand. We'll look at some of that more tonight. One last point, and we're done for this morning. Read verses 2 through 4 with me again to get this whole sentence. It's a one big, long sentence. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What in the world does all that mean? Well, first of all, we have to say, what does by which refer to? By which what? Well, we got some prepositional phrases and some other things in here, and I looked at about five or six different commentators and, and scholars to say, you know, what is he talking about? By which what? And not everybody agreed on this, but the one that seemed to be the consensus and made the most sense to me is that by which points back to the immediately preceding text. Some people say that because there's some prepositional phrases, it points back a little further, but I think it points back to the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. What does that mean? The knowledge of God. God's the one who called us, right? So by the knowledge of God, we've been, it's been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Our experiential knowledge of God, the things we learn about him as we interact with him and we submit to him in our lives on a daily basis, serve to confirm his promises to us. That's what Peter's getting at. The more you know God, the more you experience God, the more you see for yourself that God keeps his promises. But I, I don't think Peter's talking about all the promises here. I mean, I think he is, but I think he's got one in mind in particular. And as it's been said over and over, the, the way we understand the Bible is by reading the Bible. And, and so turn over just a page or so with me to, to chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. Because it's always best if you can, and you're trying to figure out what does this word mean, to see if the same writer uses it again. And Peter uses the word promises again in this very letter, in chapter 3. Read it with me. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before uh, by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water uh, by which the, the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, uh, which are now preserved by the same wor uh, word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So here's what's important. The Lord is not slack 
concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Peter says, God made a promise. Jesus made a promise. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again. And folks been sitting around, these false teachers coming in saying, where is he? He made this promise, but he hadn't come back. Where is he at? He hadn't come back. And Peter says, he's not slack when it comes to his promises. He doesn't count time the same way we count time. The reason he's holding off is because he's really not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He's holding off because he wants to give as much time as he can to let as many people as he can come to saving faith in him. That's the promise. And the more we know about God, the more we can come to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and we can say with all the confidence that's in our soul, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So why... Why didn't he come back yet? Well, maybe because of you. Maybe because he's waiting on you to give your, your soul uh, to, 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 to come to him in saving faith, to confess your sin. It says he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says in, in uh, Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart God's, raise, God's raising from the dead, we'll be saved. Maybe he's waiting on you. Maybe that's what he's waiting on. But he won't wait forever. Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 says, The day is coming when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And it says, The dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord because he is not slack concerning his promise. We prepare for the invitation this morning, folks. We got to keep in mind that Jesus is coming again. It's not an if, it's a when. Jesus is coming again. And the more we gain experiential knowledge of him, the more we know that he keeps all of his promise and the more we ought to know that even this one is true. And the more we know that this one is true, the more urgently we ought to work to bring our friends and our family and our neighbors to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We ought to tell them about Jesus. We ought to live a life before them that points them to Jesus. And he's already given us everything we need to do it. So the only question for us this morning is, are we going to do it? This morning, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. There's no time like the present to come to saving faith in him. There's nothing more we'd rather do than to show you more of what the Bible has to say about how to be saved. Whatever the Lord's laid on your heart this morning, let's take care of that as we stand and sing.